We Have Issues is a weekly podcast full of reviews of comics and oversharing. We use grown-up language to make very childish jokes. You can find the show at wehaveissues.net, as well as anywhere else where average to not too bad podcasts can be found. have issues 118 that's 118 episodes this is the 118th episode of we have issues and it's a free comic book day here in the west uh, and we are celebrating that by not really having had anything to do with free comic book day and in my case barely having even thought about comics for the last week or so and also having an episode come out after Free Comic Book Day rather than immediately before it. In previous years, we have done stuff with our local comic shop, but I'm not sure that any of us are actually using our local comic shop at the moment. I think we're mostly online. Um, certainly I am. Anyway, this is We Have Issues. It's really it's a really late episode, and I think it, we might have missed one last week. Things are uh, totally external to the podcast. Uh uh, in my life are intruding on my ability to do it, which kind of sucks. Um, I wouldn't mind, but it's not like family-related distractions. It's uh, just bullshit. It's just obnoxious life bullshit that should be easy and really isn't. Um, you don't need to hear about my problems, listener. Anyway, uh, I'm Nick. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at NickSite if you want to uh, hear how miserable I am the rest of the time. Uh, you can listen to all of our previous episodes and uh, this one uh, at wehaveissues.net. There are normally show notes for each of these and you can leave comments on the on the individual posts for each episode there as well. Uh, you can uh, also subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review us there if you like. Uh, you can tell your friends about us. Uh, we like that. It's, to be honest, the contributors are still amazing every time they're on, but if, if I'm honest, I'm not really doing the best podcasting job I could be recently. This is always a better show when there's a couple of us in the studio. That's uh, been failing to happen recently, and that's largely on me. Jane's been around to do shows, but, um, but I've not been able to do them for one reason or another. So it's... Um, I don't know. I kind of want lots of people to listen and to, to tell us it's great. And I do want you to tell your friends about us, but it might be worth listening to older episodes and getting them to listen to those first so that you can, you know, properly contextualize this as a slump that I'm going through at the moment. Although, to be fair, I think it might be a slump that comics are going through in general as well. I don't know. Marvel, I mean, basically... One of the uh, big uh, comic companies, Marvel, have responded to the current really shitty political landscape by uh, quibbling over what a Nazi is. So, um, yeah, at some point, this was the perfect medium with which to be reactionary and to comment on the culture and to be counterculture, but I'm not sure that's exactly what it is at the moment. I'm not sure. Uh, you can... 
Find us on Twitter at IssuesPod. That's the uh, podcast's account, not my personal account. Um, you can also find us at the Facebook page, which is if you search for We Have Issues on Facebook, you should find us almost straight away. And this podcast and its cousin podcast, Two Grown Men, are Patreon supported. Uh, you can support us at patreon.com forward slash TOTP. Uh, yeah, you can give us a little bit of money every month if uh, if you're so inclined. Uh, I'd... I don't know. It, it just feels like... It just feels like when you're trying to promote that particular thing, you should feel more sort of enthusiastic about everything. It's It's not really fair on the patrons that they patronize us and um i'm so low energy all the time at the moment but i'm putting to be honest listener if i'm honest to be honest if i'm honest to be honest with you to be quite honest with you um i'm pretty down on myself at the moment and some of that's uh something i just need to get over and and some of it's I think that's the other show, really. If you want to hear about how uh, how two um, men in their forties who uh, arguably have it way better than so many other people can commiserate and and be miserable and uh, and feel like the victim uh, in the uh, non-stop uh, collection of skirmishes that life is. Two grown men is probably the show to listen to. <laughs> Not this one. This one's about comics. I'll be talking about comics in a minute. Uh, later on uh, on the podcast, uh, Max Barnard will be talking about Youngblood as well. And we've got a contribution from Robert Headley too on the uh, recent run. I think the first volume of the recent run of Spider-Woman over at Marvel, um, which is a great comic. Uh, Robert sounds a, a little bit like he's at the bottom of an aquarium. Uh, which I think is just the sound quality. I don't think he, he's actually at the bottom of an aquarium. Actually, I think I'll let Robert talk to you about Spider-Woman now, uh, because I'm talking about a, um, a, a Dennis Hopeless book as well later on, and uh, and I'll join you afterwards. Hello, we have issues. Robert here to talk about the recently completed Spider-Woman run by Dennis Hopeless, Veronica Fish, and Javier Rodriguez. This is the story of Spider-Woman Jessica Drew as a mother, which instantly sets it apart from basically anything else on the market, especially from the big two. I mean, Fantastic Four isn't being run, and that's about the only book I can think of with characters with children. I guess Jessica Jones counts? But that's on its own set aside from everything else, so I'm still counting this as being different from everything else in my own little category that no one else cares about. So, why am I talking about this? Well, this is a book that manages to do what really any good book should make you do, care about the characters involved. Which can occasionally be difficult in superhero comics, because you're generally going to go in with preconceived notion of the characters. Which can make it easier if you really like the character. But it can make it difficult if you're like, who the crap is the porcupine, and why should I care about a dude named the porcupine? Yeah, the porcupine's the main character in this book. And I really like the porcupine now. 
I would be up for a Porcupine Mini, providing it was just a continuation of the series, but focused on Porcupine. He's the Porcupine, and Ben Urich. Ben Urich is a character I basically just know from the Marvel TV show. I haven't seen him. Here, I really like him. I didn't really care for the guy on the TV show. He was fine. He, you care. And Jessica Drew. Jessica Drew is a character I basically only know from Captain Marvel comics, recent ones. Here, she manages to be a really fully fleshed out three-dimensional character really quickly. Part of that is helped by the fact that she gets to be a new mum, which instantly, as I said, makes her different for everybody else. But it's not just that. You get to see what makes this character work, you get to see what makes this character tick. Man, the art definitely helps in that. Both Rodriguez and Fish are absolutely great artists, and manage to portray everything that these characters' faces need to be portraying, which is very important for this book with the art style. There's room for cartoony, sure, but this is not that. It's not photorealistic. It has to be really well done. The colors are great. And I'm assuming it's the same color throughout, which is impressive. Because they have some different art styles here. Not too different. But that's generally about the only time I can usually pay attention or notice a colorist is when I go, hey, this was drawn by somebody different, and I couldn't tell until I read the credits page again. Which has happened a couple times, and I'm not sure if that says about what that says about me. But yeah. This comic's good. And Jesus Christ, I'm going to be listening to this back and thinking, what was I talking about? Yeah, new Spider-Woman book. Or at least the one after Secret Wars. There was also... I think this is a continuation from one before Secret Wars. It started with Greg Land on art, because... Marvel... I recommend picking this up. Volume 3's about to come out. Only just wrapped up. It shouldn't be too long now. So, if you want to find me on the internet, you mostly can't. I'm not on Twitter. You can try and find me on Facebook, I guess. You can find a lot of people with my name, though, so good luck with that. Uh, if you want to check out other reviews I do, I run... Not run. I... And the face behind Jibber Jabber at the Movies, which you can find on Facebook at Jibber Jabber Youth TV, where I do weekly movie reviews. Roughly weekly, anyway. And back to you guys at the studio. So, I didn't love any of the comics I read this week. I really enjoyed a couple of them. And, uh, and weirdly, I quite enjoyed a couple of, um, licensed books which uh, they don't tend to be all that good to be honest but idw are doing a pretty good job of them at the moment so the first of those is 24 legacy uh, it's the first issue by christopher farnsworth and antonio fuso and uh, this book approaches the 24 legacy license by taking a look back at the past of the new uh, main protagonist of the show uh, eric carter um it's got solid writing and it's a gorgeous looking book um i saw that antonio fuso was on this book that was the first thing i really noticed about it it's why i read it to be honest 
and uh, he seemed like a pretty top-notch artist to be working on a licensed book, which seems really dismissive of the sort of people uh, that that publishers normally get to do um, do sort of film and TV adaptations. And I mean, that's silly because there have been some amazing artists on like Star Wars licenses and... and um, you know, various of various other licenses down through time. But generally speaking, they know that the, you know, the publishers know that the, the name of the TV show and a photo cover on the front or a recognizable character on the front is probably what's really going to sell these comics. So they don't necessarily always try that hard on the internal art. Antonio Fuso is an artist that I know from elsewhere and his art's gorgeous. So it was really interesting seeing him on this and that's kind of why I picked it up. As I said, the writing's solid, but it's really Fuso's storytelling uh, that that's uh, the best thing about it. It does a great job of capturing likenesses, but it's still really loose and stylized and, and really dynamic, which, um, you know, a lot of the time artists will get really bogged down in doing great likenesses and everything else about the comics will seem quite static, but that isn't the case with this one. However, overall... The story showcases the main problem with the new series, 24 Legacy, um, which is that it's got a black protagonist, right? The the uh, character that they've replaced Jack Bauer with is um, a guy called Eric Carter. He's uh, played by a relative newcomer, I think. Uh, it's, it's an actor I knew from um, The Walking Dead. He's kind of one of the supporting characters in that, but he's really good. And everyone's doing their best in this new show and the action's really good and everything, but they've not been able to avoid uh, a few stereotypes uh, with this character being black. And the comic kind of really digs in on that. They can't resist some really dull racial stereotyping and some really tropey shit. So this this comic deals with his backstory and we've met in the TV series, we've met his... Um, gangster brother who uh is uh you know on the other side of the tracks eric carter's the brother who went into the military and now he's a sort of a an action hero uh, working for the government he's the goody goody guy and so of course because he's a black character in a tv show um who's on the side of the law he has to have a relative or a brother uh, specifically it's normally a brother who's a criminal and the comic doubles down on that by telling us that uh, Eric's is not just one of those situations where he was the good one and his brother was the uh, the uh, the gangster. Um, Eric was actually a drug dealer and a gang member himself, which um, you know I the the writing in the comic was okay and and the action was okay, but I was rolling my eyes so hard at that particular thing it was just a bit tedious. And, and really unnecessary. Like, I think we got to meet Jack Bauer's family, immediate family, relatively quickly in the, uh, in the original run of maybe in, by the second series. We'd met his father and stuff like that, but like, we didn't know an awful lot about Jack Bauer's past and we didn't really need to. Uh, whereas with Eric Carter, it's, uh, it's literally that he's straight out of the hood. Uh, and we're we're hearing more about that than I think we necessarily need to. 
another IDW book that I read this week, though, uh, which was really fun, was uh, Ghostbusters 101. Uh, I read issues one and two. It's written by Eric Burnham with uh, art by Dan Schoening, and I think it's with colours by Luis Antonio Delgado. Now, I've dipped into the IDW Ghostbusters comics a little bit over the last year or so, and they've been going really crazy with the um, license, with the original uh, three Ghostbusters, and they've been expanding on their universe a little bit and and making substantial changes to uh, the roles that different supporting characters have in it and, and stuff like that. And they've been going... I don't know if it's the same artist. Um, I don't know if it's Dan Schoening throughout, but basically um, it's always had this hyper-stylized cartoony look it's not quite manga influenced and it's not even it, it's sort of inspired by the real ghostbuster style hanna-barbera style art but not quite there are likenesses but only just sometimes the characters are not straight on when they're talking but when they're in motion um it's almost too stylized and some of the characters do blur into one but generally it's a really unusual looking book and again they've that rather than going with a really safe choice with the license they've uh they've gone kind of crazy with it but there's a continuity there that i'm not on top of to be fair i haven't really gone back to the original ghostbusters that much i watched the first one a lot and the second one maybe twice and i was just too old for the cartoon the real ghostbusters so um so yeah i don't know how much of this relates to the the cartoons and the old comics and and stuff like that and there's definitely lots of stuff that has happened to these characters since they've been at idw but the cool thing about ghostbusters 101 is i only recently watched the uh ghostbusters movie that came out last year and i really enjoyed it 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 suffered from the same bloat that every other blockbuster movie seems to at the moment but it was it was really fun and the cast were great um sometimes it was a bit too indulgent with uh how uh, far off the beaten track it let them get but to be honest not as much as most of the other films have and, and it worked fine and the effects were pretty great and it was good really enjoyed it and really like those characters and have got the feeling that maybe there isn't going to be a sequel but i don't know uh really i've been trying to avoid following that too much because people turn into idiots when they talk about that film um more the people who are complaining about it than the people who like it but some of the people who like it as well they make big claims for it so i don't know if there's a sequel coming out but i'm guessing not because i don't think it did that well um but it was great and ghostbusters 101 in introduces well apparently in this version of the ghostbusters for a little while They've had the ability to jump between alternate dimensions and have been meeting other versions of the original Ghostbusters. But this one introduces the uh, four female Ghostbusters from the recent film. Apparently it's an alternate universe to the one that the original movies were set in. And by the end of the second issue we haven't necessarily had a real meeting of the groups so there's still an awful lot of stuff happening this is still very much the original ghostbusters comic and we're following a lot of the ins and outs of their um 
sort of their storylines with a new squad of young Ghostbusters that are joining, like that are sort of joining them or on an apprenticeship scheme and stuff like that. But we do have a few scenes with the uh, the four female Ghostbusters and their uh, dumb jock um, assistant, and they're great. It really captures. It kind of captures their characters without being perfect likenesses with very sort of super stylized artwork. Um, And you get one of the things that I really liked about the film was how warm and easy the friendships between the women in the Ghostbusters actually were. You you get the feeling that there's they either compress time quite a lot or there might be sort of slight plotting um, issues there really in that it all happens very quickly but it's got them settled into a really warm, uh, friendly routine. And the relationship between the characters uh, really comes out in this comic as well. So it was loads of fun. I really enjoyed it, and I enjoyed seeing those three characters again. Uh, but again, I'm not. it's not necessarily my cup of tea. It's quite continuity-heavy. Um, I like watching movies for what they're good at and I'm not I don't necessarily follow characters from one place to another but they got the characterization just close enough in this comic that it that it it did make me feel warm about the movie again so what else what else so Jean Grey number one uh it turns out that Marvel comics aren't having some sort of feudy thing going on with the uh with the um the the x-men being owned by a different film studio and them deliberately killing the x-men and bringing up the inhumans etc 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 that's one of the weird conspiracy theories that uh that comic geekdom has thrown up in the last couple of years because they've got a shitload of mutant titles coming out at the moment and uh this one i believe is gene gray's first solo book um it's the young time shifted gene gray who is carrying the legacy of the adult versions adult 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 versions of her um on her shoulders she really doesn't want to turn out like either of them basically um this comic's written by Dennis Hopeless and it's got art by Victor Ibanez and colors uh, by J David Ramos and it's a fairly typical mutant teen hero book, uh, but it's got Hopeless's familiar facility for deceptively deep characterization. So Jean Grey is, uh, she's used one of the teleporters that she's met through the X-Men um, to, used is a bit harsh. She's basically gone for uh, for lunch on the other side of the world with, with them. And the Wrecking Crew turn up, and the Wrecking Crew are a really dumb set of villains. I mainly know them from the original Secret Wars, but they've been knocking around for a really, really long time, and they're really, they're just basically superpowered yobs. Um, and so what we get is a lot of, a lot of angst in this first issue, a lot of introduction to Jean Grey's current status quo. There's quite an info dump in the first few pages, but it is really beautifully rendered. And the voiceover, uh, the characterization in the voiceover is really nice. You get a real sense of Jean Grey's voice through it. Um, and then she fights the Wrecking Crew, and they're a pretty low-level threat. Although she's not used to being uh, out 
being a vigilante on her own. So it, it is like a, a decent threat level for her, and the fight's quite fun. Um, and some of the the uh, the banter between her and the wrecking crew, um, who she doesn't really have a relationship with, and they don't have a relationship with her, is interesting enough. Um, but like fairly typical, just a really good version of that sort of story. Um, the art is gorgeous, though. Uh, Ibnez provides this really chunky line, and it's this atypically realistic uh, looking version of the characters in it um especially jean gray uh she's uh she's drawn throughout like a pretty but normally proportioned and awkward teen girl very ginger um she's got uh freckles that i don't know if in the past she's basically been drawn like typical hot uh female superhero character and maybe they stick a few freckles on that that like those perfectly proportioned uh, typical character models but in this it, it, it she just looks really convincing convincingly sort of there and present in the in the artwork a few other characters turn up a few other uh, mutants turn up and they look fine um the action looks okay there are some weird coloring effects to show movement and stuff that just just seem to confuse things sometimes uh, but the thing i really like about uh ibanez is uh it really reminds me of Steve Pugh, who um, Steve Pugh's art, which it is kind of a perfect fit for mutant books. He did write, he did draw one, I think that was written by Brian Wood when Warren Ellis uh, launched a like had a little launched a few mutant books a while ago, and it it really suits this book. Um, I say it looks, it reminds me of Steve Pugh's art. It does have its own charm, but it's um, it's a pretty good looking book. Um, I don't expect it to last that long. I think Marvel are sort of glutting the market and trying everything with a whole bunch of solo mutant books. They don't tend to ever last, which is a shame. Uh, but it's, it's nice to see Jean Grey fronting a book. It front loads all of the confusing shit about her place in the world and the, the different versions of, cause Jean Grey's got quite a convoluted history anyway. The, the, present day version there's got to be a point at which um it becomes easier to talk about these time shifted mutants though because they have been around for years and it looks like they're just sticking around so anyway that's gene gray and another book that i read this week that kind of came out of nowhere for me was um night owl society number one it's uh, written by james van house and it's got art by pius back pierce back i guess uh, and it's a Pretty cute new crime thriller. It really reminded me of Black Mask's Four Kids Walk Into a Bank. Uh, this one is also about kids, and it's sort of a crimey, noiry story. Um, it's about a high school kid called David who decides to get revenge on a local mob boss for the death of his friend and accidentally gathers this small squad of similarly misfit kids to help him. Um, the plot's interesting. It maybe suffers a little bit because I've recently read... Four Kids Walk Into a Bank, which the plots are really different, but ultimately the setup is there to get these kids in a situation where they're sort of cracking wise and giving each other shit, but uh, but in a crime setting. So, um, and the plot is interesting, and the writing's fine around the kids, but it gets a little bit tedious when dealing with the adult criminals, adult 
adult. No, uh, I don't. I can't remember. I'm sure I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but basically I realized recently that I learned most of the words I know from um, reading when I was younger. Didn't have a lot of friends, so didn't talk to a lot of people. And so it turns out there are loads of words that I just don't pronounce properly. And now that I'm thinking about it um, all the time, I'm really, really self-conscious about mispronouncing words. So adult or adult, I'm not sure. Um, anyway, what was I saying? So the writing's good on the kids. On the adults, it's a little bit hokey sometimes. They're too heavily inspired, the criminals, uh, anyway, they're too heavily inspired by this sort of post-Tarantino's, post-Tarantino quirky version of Chatty Crooks. Um, the main guy is very buttoned down and, and, uh, and it's kind of played almost for laughs how casually brutal he is which is a little bit weird but the art's mostly lovely uh from back who's art i don't think i've seen before there's really bold line work and great storytelling with solid body language and some really nice flourishes and these beautifully laid out pages another way that it reminds me of four kids walk into bank is um the the way that seemed really heavily inspired by uh david azure's work on hawkeye and and going back a little bit further maybe david mazzicelli i think i've talked in the past about this school of artists who uh seem a lot of people seem to be manga influenced a lot of other people seem to be old american comics influenced and then there's this school that seems to have grown up out of uh watching what david mazzicelli was doing back in the 80s um, and then more recently, what people like Michael Lark were doing in the 90s um, and early this century and and who've taken their inspiration from that. And um, it's funny, actually, because Michael Lark's work doesn't look a thing like this anymore, I think. But um, there, there's uh, lots of David Arya-esque uh, work going on here. Uh, it does get a bit boring around uh, around Back's faces, though, and this is especially unfortunate because one of the young protagonists is is introduced, and he's this he's this huge uh, black kid, uh, which you can tell from the colour on him, uh, but he's got exactly the same features, not like uh, not like similar enough that it's ethnically um, neutral. Just literally the same features as the scrawny white, like, uh, uh, young hero who he towers over. And it's a little bit weird because it, it looks like only the colorist, uh, decided that he was going to be black. It's, it's very strange. But yeah, so that was four comics that I can recommend you at least flick through, see if they're your sort of thing. Um, if you know, if your local store has anything left after free comic book day which i'm sure uh, cleared the shelves in in most places sounded like i was being sardonic but i mean it does nearly clear the shelves in most places doesn't it i don't know why i was being sarcastic there i seem to be catching uh, my friend james's uh, uh insecurity around sincerity and earnestness sincerity and earnestness might be the same thing Never mind. Uh, I'm going to pass you over to Max Barnard. He's going to talk about Young Blood, and uh, I will uh, be back afterwards to say goodbye. 
Hey everybody, it's Max Barnard and I'm here to talk about comic books for you. Image Comics is 25 years old. 25 years! That's only two years younger than me as it goes. It's kind of an odd duck of a company when you look at how it's grown and changed over that time span. Going from this superstar platform for this very specific pool of creators to a mess of missed deadlines and replacement writers and artists muddying that original appeal to getting that Liefeld title or that Silvestri title, etc, 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 to its current form as a five issues and a month off a trade paperback vehicle for hordes of offbeat creators and escapees from the big two, which, I mean, that, that part feels appropriate for Image. I love something from all of these areas that I kind of just made up for the sake of this contribution, but unless you're looking at Spawn or Savage Dragon, you can't really draw a consistent line through the company's history. And I mean, how do you even celebrate 25 years of image? Doing something with those titles would feel a little quaint. You know, they're, they're always around. They pretty much come out when they're supposed to. You can't reunite the original crew again, that's for sure. Do you remember Image United? I do. Three issues! They only had to do six. They could only manage three, and the covers felt really weird and gross. The actual plans they have gone for involve variant covers to current series that look like old covers to certain image titles. Which is boring, and it's variant covers, which is... I don't know. Uh, But the other thing they're doing is the return of the first ever image comic, Youngblood. Which is great news. Can you hear my dog? He's also in the room. I love Rob Liefeld's work. I I like Youngblood. And I think we all, somewhere deep down, do actually like Rob Liefeld. He's less an artist. I feel like that's a challenge in a way. And uh, more of a force unto himself. A man who scrolls the most exciting pages possible, despite the fact that they're not really that readable and don't necessarily have a lot going on in them. I actually own a copy of the original run- I actually own the original- I actually own a copy of the original Youngblood issue 1, and a few issues of the series before last, which had uh, President Obama in it, for reasons. Sales, really. I love Youngblood. I'm not a, a massive fan. I don't I don't own a lot, but I do like it. And I don't think I can necessarily say why. Part of it might be in how it looks, that extreme design. But a lot can be said for the strength of the concept. Government-sanctioned superheroes that are treated like celebrities, dealing with the pressures of saving the world and being famous all at once. In many ways, it feels stunningly ahead of its time, debuting before reality TV and the significant way it changed how we perceive celebrities. Liefeld was onto something, and I've been aching to see how this concept would translate to a modern comic. And as it turns out, yeah, it's pretty good. My dog's he's dragging himself on the floor, not like on his he's, like on his belly. It just seems like you get a sore dick. Shut up. So yeah, Youngblood mostly achieves this by distancing itself from the old Youngblood, without really discarding any of what came before, both character-wise and in regards to dear old Rob, who has gone from creative input to a back seat, save for a slightly bizarre backup after the main story, but we'll come to that. 
The creative team is now Chad Bowers of X-Men 92 and upcoming Deadpool graphic novel Bad Blood, drawn by Rob Liefeld. How about that? Uh, I'm not sure what our voice is supposed to be. And Jim Toe, an interesting up-and-comer... And Jim Toe, an up-and-comer... And Jim Toe, an interesting up-and-comer artist who got the gig pretty much off the back of tweeting Rob on Twitter, which as far as job applications go, is wild as heck. Chad isn't really a young creative, but he does bring a fresh perspective that's in tune enough with the ways of young people to fit a new setup of the series. That of new younger heroes using an app service called Help to provide assistance where needed, with a particular focus on a new upstart who's calling herself Vogue, just like the old member of Youngblood and her attempts to work out what happened to a size-changing teammate that she never knew outside of their super-heroic activity. His name is Man Up, by the way, which is great for a size-changing character. I keep laughing about it because it's both dumb and immense. I, I like this this core plot beat, by the way. That way Vogue is having to do whatever she can to find out anything at all about Man Up so as to help him is weirdly reminiscent of that sort of anxious struggle that I and... Others have experienced trying to help out friends we only know through screen names on forums when something appears to have gone wrong. It's a powerful parallel, intentional or otherwise. The rest of the new heroes are kind of underdeveloped right now, but it's issue one and I can live with this as it gave some space in the book for us to see what's going on with old young blood, and it's glorious. Uh, Die Hard, the mostly cybernetic old soldier, is now president with the original Vogue as his first lady because why not have a dangerous old white man and a supermodel in the White House but in a not shit way unlike reality Shaft is incarcerated and Bad Rock is turning to pudgy clay and falling apart which somehow makes them the right candidates to meet up with the new young'uns and presumably take them under their wings the stuff with Badrock in particular is like an interesting twist on the character visually even if the potential of his own body killing him feels weirdly familiar like i've definitely seen it in another young blood run i'm i'm pretty sure enough with the plot though let's talk toe jim toe's art is a far cry from liefeld's and that's probably to the book's benefit this isn't an extreme book really it's a book aimed more at today's young readers and the sort of stuff that they want to see and so it has a look that doesn't feel too many steps away from a slick animated production which is nice and the layouts and structure are decent. Like, they're very decent. I, I can't give it the hugest praise in the world, but it's good. Not that Liefeld isn't good too. His backup is nicely drawn, and his ink in this issue certainly knows how to bring maximum Liefeld out of a relatively quiet backup featuring Bad Rock's kids from the future, and a small man teleporting into Shaft's prison cell and talking vaguely about what lies in the future for Shaft. It's weird, it definitely has that touch of 90s comic foreshadowing that doesn't actually really mean anything yet, and there probably isn't a plan, but one day they'll totally, totally follow up on this stuff, right? Right? But, I mean, I, I can't be too cynical about this, though. I mean, it, it's Rob Liefeld. He's a good boy. Not like you, you're making too much noise. I can't pretend to be mad at this dog. I hate him. So, yeah, Youngblood is back. It's sold out already, which feels <laughs> appropriate. It doesn't feel like it has the bombast of a 25th year celebration, but it definitely feels like the most correct choice. I like it. Maybe you will too. 
it's almost two months until the second issue though because Image Comics is still the same company deep down £2.50 so that's that thank you to Max and to Robert and thank you to our patrons and thank you to you listener uh, I hope that we'll be back in a few days time but I mean at this point who knows who knows might be Mad Max might be the Mad Max future by uh, by next Thursday it's difficult to tell everything's up for grabs at the moment isn't it uh, I will I will hopefully speak to you soon bye bye <laughs>